The Lifestylist, episode 83, featuring Cody Story. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. Uh, my lovely listener, listen up. I've got an exciting announcement for you. I'm going to be hosting an event at the Soho House in West Hollywood on August 30th. And you, my friend, are invited. It's a free event. I'm going to be presenting my Mind, Body, and Spirit Solution program. Same one I just did a couple weeks ago in New York City. It was a huge hit. Tons of listeners came down and chilled. I had a blast. They had a blast. It was epic. I'm going to do it again in L.A. on Wednesday, August 30th at 10 a.m. at the Soho House in West Hollywood. Here's the deal, though. If you want to come, it's free. It's all good. But you have to RSVP quick because legit, I only have a few spots available on my guest list. It's a free event. This list that I'm going to put you on, if you make it in time, is like the list that my friends would go on. But you're a listener to the show, so I'm dissing my friends. I'm going to put you on that list so you can come hang out because I want to meet you because I haven't met you yet. I've met all my friends. I see their asses all the time. So here's what you have to do. You got to go to lukestory.com forward slash contact and just shoot me an email on the contact page that says RSVP Hollywood. If you make it in time, I'm going to email you back the details for the event on the 30th. If you don't hear back, no offense, it just means it already filled up. So that's Luke's Talk at the Soho House West Hollywood, uh, Wednesday, August 30th at 10 a.m. Go to lukestory.com forward slash contact. Shoot me an email that says you want to come and I'll do my best to get you in. Okay, and if you miss it, I will see you on the next one. Thanks. My name is Luke Story, and I have the distinct pleasure of bringing you another episode of the Lifestylist Podcast. I'd also like to remind you that this Friday, I've got a bonus episode coming out. That's right. It's the bootleg broadcast of yours truly, speaking at Cat Beauty live from New York City. To ensure that you don't miss that episode, which is a bonus, as I said, or any others to follow, make sure that you subscribe to this podcast. That way, you don't miss any episodes. You don't have to remember shit. Every week they get downloaded to your device or to iTunes or whatever you're using to listen to my voice right now. I myself am an avid podcast listener and I subscribe to the ones that are meaningful. Hopefully this one meets that criteria for you. Okay, upward and onward. Today's guest is a very distinguished guest indeed, and I'm really pleased to finally be bringing you this episode. It's taken me forever to get this man on my show, which is so ironic because we share a dad. Yes, that's right. Today's guest is my brother, Cody Story, who is a fanatic when it comes to functional fitness and natural movement. This guy is a freaking genius when it comes to the human body. And I've been bugging him to be on the show for literally a year. And uh, we finally got her done. Set up some cameras, set up some mics. He came over to my adjunct recording studio here in Miracle Mile in Los Angeles, California. And we put together a really good episode centered on functional movement. Pretty cool. So we start out the episode with uh, Cody's (laughs) uh, recount of what it was like to go to a float tank that day. I took him to... uh, What's it called? Uh, Oh, yeah, Just Float out in Pasadena and took him for his first float. And normally if you do your first one, you do like an hour. 
but we just went balls deep and went for uh, uh, figuratively and literally and, <laughs> and uh, did a two-hour float and Cody hung in he was digging it so you're gonna get to hear his experience with that and then his life early in sports and how that led him to becoming first you know a kind of a mainstream meathead jock type personal trainer and eventually led him into teaching and practicing this very advanced level fitness that he's currently into and then we talk about looking good on the outside versus having a fully functional body in control over your own nervous system and what is sustainable fitness training and why conventional gym workout routines might actually be harmful to your body over time yeah you're going to the gym doing that thing what do they call it crush mode beast mode all that stuff you're hashtagging stuff showing your biceps you might be trashing your body so listen up then we get into why joint mobility is so important and really what's the difference between flexibility and mobility. Turns out you might be very flexible but have very limited mobility, which leaves you more prone to injury. How about that? Then the importance of movement complexity and how to avoid negative adaptation and how to increase positive adaptation. In other words, becoming adapted to movements which are actually good for your body. And the dangers of overtraining and why recovery days are so crucial to your overall health. Why shorter duration, high intensity training is often more effective than the long run cardio that people love to do. And then what's the deal with people that are obsessed with cardio to lose weight? Does that actually work? Is that valid? Is there any science behind that? Or are there better and more interesting and faster ways to lose weight and get in shape? Then we talk about the power of kettlebells and club bells, two tools that I really love that Cody uses over at Story Fitness. And what role does yoga have in Cody's training philosophy and what are the health benefits? We cover Cody's other mindset recommendations in terms of diet, lifestyle, attitude, spirituality. We really get to know my brother, which was a treat for me because obviously I know his ass, but the audience doesn't. Well, a few of you do because a lot of people go train at Story Fitness, but a lot of people ask, who's this guy on your Instagram? Like, why don't you ever talk about your brother or have him on the show? So we finally got it done. And I got to say, I just love this guy. I think you're going to hear the the bond that we have, the camaraderie that we have. It wasn't always that way. Of course, as brothers, we've had our ups and downs. And it's been fun to watch Cody kind of follow a lot of the same path that I have, both the negative and then the positive. And I've watched him drop out of high school like I did. I don't recommend that, by the way, for our young listeners, but uh, that's the way it went down. Ended up living in his car, living on a, I think he lived on the roof of my old apartment at some point. Then finally got his shit together and uh, got a gym and then lived in the gym for a while. And now he owns and operates a really great fitness center and no longer sleeps outdoors or in a car or anywhere sorted like that. He's got it together. At least he's getting there like all of us. So it's with great gratitude, a warm and open heart and pleasure that I bring you this episode with my brother, Cody Story. This episode is brought to you by my friends over at Organifi. I discovered this product a few months ago and it has changed the game for me. Everybody knows that green juice is good for you, right? Here's the deal, though. couple disadvantages to your average cold-pressed green juice. A, a lot of times it comes in plastic, not good. B, it's usually loaded with sugar up to 25 grams, which is basically like drinking a green Coca-Cola. Not happening. Next is they go bad. You can't leave it sitting out, and they're really bad for travel. So I love my green juice. That's cool. Cold-pressed. I get the sugar-free ones. I'm into it. But Organifi makes a green powdered superfood that comes in these little packets that are portable and you can take with you. So I keep them in my car and in my bag and on demand anytime I have a bottle of water, I can pour one of these in there and have an instant green juice. Alkalizing, energizing, gives you mental clarity. It's fantastic. It's loaded with 11 superfoods. A lot of the green powders 
not only taste gross and are overpriced, but they'll have like 200 ingredients. And I'm always thinking, how much of each ingredient is actually in there? Okay. These 11 superfoods are the important ones that you need, like turmeric, chlorella, wheatgrass, spirulina, mint, moringa, ashwagandha, lemon, beets, matcha green tea, and coconut water. And it's sweetened with monk fruit, so it's got a zero glycemic index. It's fantastic stuff. So if you want to check this drink out, work on your health in a way that actually tastes good and is super convenient, here's what you do. Go to Organifi.com, that's with an I, Organifi, Enter the code LIFESTYLIST and save 20% off your order. You guys know I always give you a hookup if I'm going to tell you about something cool that I discovered. So again, go to Organifi.com, enter the code LIFESTYLIST at checkout and save 20%. Really good stuff. A massive part of my health strategy is the ingestion on a regular basis of medicinal herbs and medicinal mushrooms. And my primary source for those is a company called Four Sigmatic. If you remember way back in the day in episode eight, I had a guest by the name of Taro Isakapula from this company, and we talked all about the power of these amazing herbs and mushrooms. Well, Four Sigmatic do a great job of making them not only potent, but also convenient and delicious. So they make these little packages of herbs that you add to hot water, cold water, or bulletproof coffee, whatever your recipe is. I make them with all kinds of different stuff all the time. It makes a really easy way to get this stuff into your body. And these are herbs that have a real effect on you. It's very powerful stuff. So go to foursigmatic.com, but wait, I'm going to hook it up. When you get to foursigmatic.com, enter the code THELIFESTYLIST at checkout to save 15% off your order. So you can get things like reishi mushrooms, chaga mushrooms, cordyceps, lion's mane, ashwagandha, all the good stuff that really works. So go to foursigmatic.com, enter the code THELIFESTYLIST and save 15% off your order. Cody Story is the founder of Story Fitness, a cutting-edge training studio in Hollywood, California. He's a highly trained strength and conditioning movement coach and mobility specialist. Cody and his unique vision are leading the charge within the rapidly growing counterculture of individuals that want a more holistic and sustainable approach to personal training and group classes, something that conventional fitness systems don't provide. At the core, Cody helps his students discover their highest physical potential, allowing them to break free from the limitations and pathology of our modern, sedentary lifestyle. It's his mission to help transform and enhance the well-being of his students by teaching them to optimize their health, become pain-free, and to rediscover the simplicity of movement. Cody Story, welcome to the podcast, my brother from another mother, literally. Right on. Thank you for having me. Here we are. So you guys were here with uh, Cody who is my brother, but if you are watching on Instagram Live or Facebook Live, or if you end up watching this on YouTube, you'll be looking at him going, wait, brothers? Now, our other brother, Andy's here behind the scenes. He's making sure all the audio video goes right. And these two guys look a lot like each other, but I don't. And that's because we do have a different mother. We are brothers from another mother. Yes, we are. And uh, the podcast has been going a year, and mm-hmm. I've been threatening to get Cody on it for that much time. But the funny thing that happens is like he lives down the street and his um, fitness studio is down the street. I'm there all the time. Like we hang out, I don't know, probably two or three days a week. So it's like we never end up recording because mm-hmm. it's too convenient. Yeah, too convenient, too close. <laughs> I got people I record with like all over the world that are really hard to get a hold of and those happen faster. So here we are, dude. We're going to talk about fitness yeah, and all that stuff. So I got my notes, you know, which are my cheat sheets, but... 
Sometimes I stick to them and sometimes I don't. To give you guys some context, those of you listening or watching, the three of us brothers just went to a place called Just Float out in Pasadena. Huge shout out to them. Great facility. Yeah, and we just did two-hour floats, then literally like got out of a float tank, got in the car, and headed back and immediately turned on the equipment. So I think we're, <laughs> we're all three kind of like tripping out right Sensory now. Sensory shock. I don't know if my brain is, is quite turned on. Um, so what was the float experience like for you today? Because that was Cody's first one. So let's just start with that, speaking of your body. Yeah. It was pretty wild. Um, I just, walking in there, based on my experience, it was just like, this is the perfect place. Um, just float. They've done a great job. I was just blown away by the quality because it was my first time. I don't have any way to gauge or compare it to anything else. But when I went in there, it was very comfortable. Uh, the owner is a great guy. What was his name? Jim. Jim. Yeah. Jim, just a super cool guy. And uh, the process, you know, I'm down with doing weird stuff and this would probably be weird to most, but it took me a little while once I got into the chamber to settle down, that's for sure. And, you know, when I got up, I didn't want to leave. I actually wanted to stay just because I felt so relaxed and so calm because I got out a couple of times and then back in and I noticed the difference when I got up the first time. I was just so heavy and i was blown away by what we're living in all the time i mean gravity is real and it was wild to kind of have the ability to tell the difference because how many times in life uh, do we go like gravity free unless like we're like supposed to be on a rocket ship with these headphones right now i've never been to outer space so for me it was a cool way to be able to feel that sensation and it was just a really relaxing great time Awesome, man. Yeah, it was cool. I didn't realize actually when we were headed out there that you'd never been because Andy went with me once before, our other brother, and uh, and I confused that and I thought I brought both of you. It was Andy and who else was that? There was another guy we took with us. And maybe it was Elliot. Yeah, one of the homies anyway. But it's weird because I've taken a lot of people floating and it's a trippy thing because you know you go together but then you're separate, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you go on a date or you go with like some friends or something, it's like, cool, see you on the other side. So it's actually not that awesome of a thing to do with other people. But for those of you listening that missed my episode, I forget the episode number uh, at this point, but it was a few episodes ago, I did a whole show on floating. But if you missed that, just to give you some context, uh, and if you've ever done a float, you're going to be like, why are you guys recording right now? <laughs> like you have no business being behind a microphone because yeah, it trippy. really puts you in an Very altered trippy. state. But here's what it is basically, you guys listening, because I encourage you to get out to Just Float in Pasadena if you're in LA. Uh, there's another place, um, the guest that I had on, he's got a place called Float Lab, which they have one in Venice and one in Westwood. But wherever you are, get in float. Here's the deal. Okay, there's like a, a small room or a chamber. It's called also called a sensory deprivation chamber, float tank, sensory deprivation tank. There's a few different names, but basically you float in water that's full of Epsom salt and it's so saturated with salt that you float like the Dead Sea. If you've ever mm -hmm. been to the Dead Sea or seen photos of that, you just lay back and literally you just float. It's amazing. What's rad about the chamber though is there's no sound, there's no light, and as Cody said, there is no gravity. And so you just you're just in there naked and alone. You know, think of the show Naked and Afraid. You're not you're naked not afraid though, unless you're like afraid of the confines of your own mind and your own consciousness. But basically, you just it's like a forced meditation, and you just lay there and just trip out, sleep, wake up. I never know if I'm sleeping or if I'm awake because the dreams are you have such lucid dreams. Like today in ours, I 
didn't really know if I was asleep a lot of the time because my dreams were like about being in the float tank. Mm -hmm. And I kept thinking like the time was up and then I'd wake up and be like, oh, the time's not up. I'm just dreaming. It's mm -hmm. still dark. They're not knocking on the wall or anything. So super trippy experience to have. And then we were going to go do an ice bath on the way home and then record so we could have like woken up out of that <laughs> trippy state, but we didn't have time. So here we are. Uh, okay. Well, maybe that got us in a talkative state of mind. So let's start at yeah. the beginning, Cody. I know your story because I saw your ass when you were like one day old, <laughs> but for those listening that have no context, yeah. what's your deal? So you're from Colorado. Yep. Or as you say, Colorado. For Colorado. some reason, I've never known why you why you don't you ignore the O's in that word. But uh, that's Colorado. Just, yeah, maybe there you go. Maybe we'll straight. It's big brother shit. I'm always like, that's not how you say it. Like all controlling. So let's start out like in school and sports and stuff. So unlike me, you were very athletic. So what was the beginnings yeah. of your your athletic career, so to speak? I guess I've been active since I came out the womb. Really, I mean. I've been rocking in a crib from a very young age. I was always moving, and it was something weird to me. I never really knew what that was all about, but, I mean, that's not a sport, rocking. But I've always been a movement type of person, and uh, I don't know, being exposed to so much, living in the environment I grew up in. I was in Colorado. It's beautiful. Um, there's a lot of outdoor activities going on all the time. There's a lot of sports as far as school is concerned. So I started, I mean, skiing at age two. I was swimming in the hot springs down in uh, Glenwood Springs, hot springs. One of my favorite things to do still to this day, but that's where I learned to swim. You know, I learned in the hot springs. And <clears throat> I remember that. That was one thing that was cool. I don't know if it was your mom or our dad that mm -hmm. like got those things, but I remember when Andy and you were babies, like there were swimming lessons for you guys like At in the, the hot, hot springs. springs. Yeah, yeah. It's trippy. I thought about that today because I was like, oh, what was it like growing up? I don't think of that anymore really. Yeah. But yeah, it's super cool. I mean, how fortunate was I to be able to learn in that kind of water because I'm super stoked to be in any kind of mineral waters ever, period. Um, but yeah, I mean, my mom was super active. She was just always out doing things and I was just kind of brought around doing whatever she was doing and then it kind of just infiltrated my life it's just colorado it's how we do it actually yeah that's right your mom was very athletic mm -hmm. which our dad wasn't i mean our dad was active i mean to this day dude i, I don't know if i told you and andy but I, we went out to, on a fishing trip to meeker this is maybe like i think it was last year and mm -hmm. you know i went out to see him we rented a little spot and we went up um and uh you know like chartered a little fishing guide and went fishing on this river but anyway went up to this lake up in meeker and dad like rode me and him in this canoe all the way across this fucking lake dude and mm -hmm. it was it was like up almost at you know i don't know if it's at timber line but it's really high so it was really windy high country yeah high country and <laughs> and he i rode for like 20 feet and i was like fuck this i'm done dad mm -hmm. powered us across that whole lake and he's like in his 70s so yeah. he's super active and strong i mean he's a beast still i think he's in better shape than me it's like bizarre but he wasn't really like sporty though he was no, more no. he wasn't in he's not a sport active guy yeah, he never watched football no. he never played sports he's just like a mountain man and active but your mom mm -hmm was like into biking and running and swimming and shit like that. A lot that, of biking, right? a lot of running. She's been through all the trends as far as fitness was concerned back in the day as well. But I mean, whether it was dad or whether it was my mom, it was, there was always something to do. Like 
okay, it'd be different if I'm with my mom. Say if we go with dad, it's like up in the hills. You're riding horses. You're out hiking. You're walking. He never stops like you know. His legs are like six feet long, each one of them, me trying to keep up as a kid. Um, so he, like you said, he was a real beast, but it was a different kind of activity. But, I mean, just growing up in that kind of environment, that was my. that was what I was just drawn to. I just gravitated to activities. Being uh, in a position where I could be outside was always my favorite because if you were to, you know, fast forward a little bit, you know, being introduced to the education system and going to school, I felt really out of place there. Um, the only thing that kept me going to school at the time was actually sports. Like had sports not been in the school system or like PE, things like that, I probably would have never gone to school because I didn't do well. I mean, the system that they were using to try to teach me any kind of education uh, repelled me. Sitting in a desk or wearing backpacks and, you know, being stuck in cement brick walls and having a couple windows to like look outside. I, I mean, I would freak out every day. I just couldn't wait to get out. And so, of course, sport was like my out. I started finding ways in which I didn't really have to go to school that much because I was obviously not making good grades. But I found later in life that as far as intelligence and, and being somewhat smart, I found out I'm smart in that way. I just am not necessarily the book smart individual. So sitting in school and looking out the window, it was just like I was in fantasy land 24-7, just looking at the grass, looking at the fields and the mountains and just thinking of when I get out of here, what I'm going to do. So for me, that's where it's at still to this day. I love uh, using my body. That's funny. You brought me back to like our we have something so in common our mutual hatred for school <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. dude just hearing like i could just picture sitting in that room like in those little desks dude i, I don't brutal. know what were the desks so like when brutal. you were a kid but when i was a kid like you know by the time i was in junior high i was too big for my little stupid desk like those individual dude. little desks that you have it was the worst environment ever it's not but a great way for kids to learn yeah period. but what's trippy is that you weren't like a jock but you weren't like me. I just totally went against all that. And I was like a stoner and like I skipped, mm -hmm. like I hated PE. I never would join any sports or anything, but you weren't like a meathead jock that was like popular. You were like a rebel and an outcast and got in trouble all the time, mm -hmm. but you were also really into sports and the athletics. Yeah. Which I love weird. traditional sport as well. I, I mean, mean, usually like, you know what I'm saying though? Kids are like a fuck up yeah. and then they drop out of all the sports and just get high in the recess and shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? But you would like get <laughs> high and then actually go do the sports, <laughs> yeah. you know, go wrestling. What's it like wrestling, like super faded. That must be weird. <laughs> So you get through school and that was like your coping mechanism was using your body and that's how you expressed yourself was through your physicality. Yeah, I mean, it fed me on a couple of ways. One, I mean, being able to use my body. At that time, I didn't really know. I wasn't conscious to the fact that it was actually doing something for my mind. It made me love life. But then at the same time, you know, I did do very well. Like whatever sport that I played, I seemed to excel and I was able to really get involved on some pretty high levels. And my, you know, first love would probably be soccer. And uh, I just love the aggressiveness behind it. And I also love the ability to just get out there, run and be free. Um, but back in the day, I think it's a little different now. 
kids seem to be just playing one sport and just specializing in it. And that is what I'm seeing happening a lot more, which is over-specialization. We had like every sport possible. It was baseball, wrestling, football, soccer, basketball. But then what was really cool, what I, I mean, this was, I was sold soon as skateboarding was presented to me and then snowboarding. And then that just became all I wanted to do. Um, so I started studying actually VHS cassette tapes. So I would skip school, I would go home, and that was when we had uh, what are they VCRs and I'd get those cassette tapes I put them in there and I would literally just study all the pro uh, snowboarders and it was still pretty rebellious at that time I mean it wasn't well accepted I mean snowboarding wasn't even allowed on Aspen Mountain like I mean it was that rebellious so really no it wasn't even it was only skiing on Aspen Mountain the only place we could snowboard was buttermilk and snowmass uh -huh. and Aspen Highlands I believe as well because we had four great resorts literally 20 minutes from my house so yeah I would just study like I don't get it I studied you know dog training and I studied also snowboarding and what I started to see is people had style and I could see like okay if I'm going to go to a competition what separates me from the other people that might be doing the exact same trick that I'm going to do and it always came down to style and that's all about movement about finesse and about grace and about flow so I was studying the way people manipulated their body in the air, and then I started to see, wow, if I got really good at the basics, and that's what I was doing already with, say, soccer or baseball or whatever, I was always drilling these basic drills, but there was nobody around teaching snowboarding at that time. Eventually, I had a snowboard coach, but I, I was probably better than the snowboard coach. I mean, he was super cool and super good, but again, he was a little bit older. That kind of phase and era was different. It's such a sport that accelerates so fast and it's still happening to this day. X Games wasn't even a thing. Uh, snowboarding wasn't that big. It wasn't even in the Olympics at that time. So I just remember, you know, VHS tapes and just looking at all the pros and what they were doing and just dreaming and seeing that one day I could do that. But you know, I got involved in some other extracurricular uh, activities and hobbies what? along the way. Like listening to gangster rap and blazing <laughs> weed on the daily. <laughs> Actually, that's, it's funny, dude, because what that reminds me of, like watching the VHS tapes and stuff like that, is like uh, what boxers do. You know, mm -hmm. like famous, I mean, not like I talk about, like, I don't know shit about sports, but just from movies I've watched about boxers and stuff yeah. like that, maybe a couple documentaries like Muhammad Ali, but uh, they watch you know, their opponents and study them, right? Yeah. And they just watch those tapes over and over again and even some basketball players and stuff like that. But I forgot that you'd done that. Now I remember that. You used to have like all those little... It's like there was like skate little skateboard clicks and clubs and stuff, and then there was yeah. like snowboarding clubs, and they'd have their own little scene, and they'd put out like series of videotapes yeah. and stuff like that, right? So because of it, I was a real outcast. You know, like you said, I wasn't a jock, um, but we were able to kind of form our own team or our own clique, so to speak. Yeah, and then you had uh, a lot of success too in the snowboarding too, right? I yeah. mean, by that time, I'm trying to think where I was when you were doing it because I wasn't really around at that time. I think. When you were a teenager doing that stuff, I was probably already living in Hollywood, like mm -hmm. smoking crack, <laughs> and like, and like just yeah. <laughs> destroying my life while you were. Oh, but boy. I remember on the being on the periphery, like not quite conscious, but living in like the gutter of Hollywood, basically in the early '90s, and that's when you would have been doing that, right? Yeah. Because I remember Dad like was really proud of you, and I heard of your success, but it's not like I could manage to get myself on an airplane somehow and come out to see you perform or something like that but yeah. weren't you traveling around and you know yeah. like poised was, for 
professional uh, sports kind of vibe yeah that was that was the vision that was the goal and that was the dream so basically we would just compete in all the local resorts everywhere from like breckenridge copper mountain uh what was it vale uh, keystone a lot of other different um resorts on the other side of the hill but then we had you know like i said we had four amazing mountains right where we, we were at so you got regionals so basically you compete all year or all season long and then you're hoping to get into what's called nationals by the time i was 17 i got second place in nationals and then i got invited to go to a camp for the junior worlds team i just wish the olympics would have been more accepting a little sooner um, maybe i would have seen it uh, to be a bigger thing because it wasn't like a legit sport and right. i got sidetracked i mean right. i just started to really like the lifestyle that came with it i mean the party lifestyle was you know, part of what it was about so i got a little too interested in investigating and curious in terms of what that was well, all it was about. like a real stoner culture too snowboarding yeah. right i mean Absolutely. that was kind of like hand in hand did you ever get laid as a result of being a dope snowboarder? <laughs> did, um, did you get girls because of that? Well, it was cool. You would be like... I mean, you're like a cool kid now. Like, you start out being kind of an outcast in school. Did mm -hmm. did you, like, get the sense, like, all right, motherfuckers, like, I've arrived now. I found the thing mm -hmm. I'm good at, and I get attention, and people, like, finally accept me because I excel at something? Absolutely. I mean, my ego fed on that big time um, because, yeah, I didn't get that in other places, and... It was interesting, like people I'm sure, or like I experienced early on when I was in the more traditional sports setting, you know, if you walk into a stadium or you walk out on the field, you get that feeling. But then when I left those sports, I stopped getting that feeling. But then what would happen is it's a little different because it's, you know, not in an arena. It's not in a stadium. It's not on a field. It's on the mountain. And there's like, you know, five or six jumps that you're going to go through. So there's people all up and down, say the slope style park. But when you show up to a resort, absolutely. I mean, you got your clothes that you wear, you have your certain brands you represent. And then I had sponsorships. So I felt really good and empowered because I was having people send me gifts and send me clothes and boards and things like that. But literally you'd show up on a resort and it was kind of almost like you own the resort. And then we would like go up one chairlift ride and then dominate the whole resort and just like take it over like a bunch of assholes. Cause like I said, it was rebellious and yeah, I was partially a part of that rebellious kind of attitude, which has changed a lot. You know what I mean? But yeah. Um, yeah, I fed off of it. I got a lot of cool accolades and, you know, a bunch of medals and, and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so what happened between that time and you, you giving that up to you moving to Hollywood, which is the next part of this story that I want to get into? Okay. So I had shoulder surgery and I also moved to Vancouver and I lived up in Vancouver for about two years. And partially why I wanted to go up there is because I dropped out of high school. Um, I stopped going to school and started just working and I was kind of phasing out of the snowboarding because I was just too into that, too into the culture. And I was like, great, I can go to Canada. You can drink when you're 18. You can party. You can smoke weed pretty much legally. And one of my buddies was like, yo, there's a music school up there. And like, I'm really not like a musician. I don't play an instrument or anything, but I could like write lyrics and do things like that. So I was like, you know what? That sounds great. You can literally pretty much smoke weed legally and move to Vancouver. So I moved up there, but within like mm, close to two years, it was very depressing because it's always like raining and cloudy and it was an amazing city, like lots of, again, outdoor activities, but I was just too caught up. I mean, I was there in Vancouver and then you got Whistler and Blackcomb. And it's maybe like an hour and a half drive. I bought a ticket and I, I 
didn't even go maybe like five, six times, something like that in the course of two years. So I just drifted and then I was like, all right, this isn't working for me. Vancouver was cool. It was fun, but it was eating away at me by that time. I had a lot of guilt and a lot of shame behind knowing consciously that I was throwing something away that I truly loved and it was the one thing I wanted to do. And so I was like, all right, I'm just going to go back to Colorado. So I went back to Colorado and it was again about the two year mark. And I just started getting in a lot of trouble, suffering a lot of consequences. And I just, it was eating away at me and I didn't know what to do with my life at that time. Um, And I knew I didn't want to be in Colorado. I knew I didn't want to be in the same place that I grew up just doing the same old stuff. And because I wasn't involved in that sport, I was like, all right, one brother lived in Brooklyn. Andy, he was out there for seven years going to art school. You were out here in LA. Andy was done with Brooklyn. I loved going there, but I wasn't really drawn to that city because it was just too gnarly, like too many buildings, too high skyscrapers. And it just wasn't my thing deep down inside. And then Andy moved out here with you, I believe, uh, in L.A. And I was like, hmm. And like the moment I started thinking about it, I got in a lot of trouble. And I was just like, all right. I packed up my car, threw all my stuff in there. I think I stopped by dad's on the way out. And then as soon as I left there, I just drove straight out here. And then you guys put me up for a couple months. I figured things would change too because I really didn't want to live the way I was living. Again, deep down inside, I got this instinct self-preservation and I loved health and I loved, you know, like I said, using my body. And it was going against all the things deep down inside that I truly enjoyed. So I was kind of caught in purgatory. And when I moved out here, there I was, you know, and yeah. <laughs> uh, wherever really you go, there you away. are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you, so you came out here because I remember that you were like, it was sort of like you had a tsunami of uh, trouble sort of chasing you out here from mm-hmm. the stuff you were getting into back home. And then Eventually, you you sort of got settled here and and got your shit together and started you know kind of somewhat adapting <laughs> and you know becoming more responsible as it were, and then the way I remember the story and I want to get into like what you're doing now, but it's cool to give people some background too. Yeah. Uh, then I remember you making a move. I don't know. You had a few few weird odd jobs, and then you made a move toward getting certified as a personal trainer, and you went and worked at a gym. Yeah, because that's the first time in my life that I ever, I think, ever even probably walked in to a gym let alone did anything i remember because when yeah. you and andy mm-hmm. would take you guys were like all into getting ripped and taking creatine and shit bodybuilding <laughs> like body yeah going yeah. to the gym and i and i got into it you know for a while with you guys and uh not enough but i did see some changes but that's when i remember and then all of a sudden you were like a trainer and working at the gym so what was what was the deal with that I mean, as far as becoming responsible, the truth was I was very irresponsible for quite a while uh, in L.A. and just went deeper and went harder and totally crashed and burned. I absolutely hit bottom. I became homeless. I was living on rooftops and out of the backseat of a car. And I was always still, even though I was living, you know, that lifestyle, I was still always in 24-hour fitness. And at that time, it was a lifesaver because they had a shower and I could train, you know, so I would just live pretty much out of the gym. I was there six, seven days a week. Um, and, you know, once I finally hit that bottom and I, I reached out for help and then I wound up in a recovery program, which was a blessing. I didn't know what was going on at that time. I just knew I needed help and I got help. 
So I started to, again, have some of those odds and end jobs and put some money together to finally get an apartment. But I was still at that 24-hour fitness. I remember there was this dude in there, Damon, and he was the manager. And he would just see me all the time walking in and out. And, you know, we were crossing paths. So I just had a little bit of rapport with the guy. But I was so at a loss with what I was going to do with my life. I had no clue. And I remember asking myself the question. And, and at the time, because I had no clue, there was a guy in my life that was helping me um, with sobriety and whatnot. And he was like, I don't know, why don't you try talking to this higher power? And I started talking to this thing. I don't know, everybody's got their own concepts and ideas, but I just started, you know, praying and talking to this power and asking, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Am I supposed to like move to Tahoe and, and go back into snowboarding? And I remember that same gym, dude, there was like 20 foot tall posters because snowboarding just got in the Olympics. And um, I remember walking in and there's these big posters of like kids that were on eventually one of the snowboard teams that I was on, kids I used to compete with. And, you know, they got all this like cool stuff going on. And I was just like, you got to be kidding me, dude. Like, this would be the last place I would have saw like a 20 foot year old chick I used to ride with or one of the guys I compete like literally it just blew me away. I didn't understand it. But I just kept asking, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? And one day I was just sitting up, I think, doing chest presses and things like that. And I looked over and there was this girl and she was training this client. And it just came to me. It was like, what is separating you from doing what she's doing with all that you know? Because I did study training, um, but I didn't have anybody teach me. I was always at, you know, early on, I used to study like, what was it? men's fitness, uh, muscle like magazines and stuff, like bodybuilding magazines. I don't even remember the names anymore. Um, so I had a little bit of strength and conditioning background. I had the sport thing and the bodybuilding thing started to become pretty big and I was vain and I had a big ego. So that really fed me as well. Um, but I remember looking at that girl, Karen, and she was such a sweet person and so kind when I was there. And I was just like, you know what? Okay. I see it because the only other idea was to go back into snowboarding or be a coach for snowboarding. But by this time, I've already been experiencing Los Angeles and I loved it here. And I really liked the weather. And I was like, I don't know if I want to go back into that winter environment. It's just, it's pretty rugged. I still love the cold today. I just don't want to, you know, live the same way I grew up living. I like this because it is so different. But that's pretty much what happened, man. I just came upon it one day. I had no idea that I'd become even a personal trainer. And then that has completely morphed. It's been, as far as working with people, 12 years now. So you went from like the standardized gym, like 24-hour fitness is a very like mainstream, just commercial kind of fitness, commercial yeah. generic gym. And you were like about the vanity and wanting to like get big arms and get packs big and tan like, drink protein shakes <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> remember the tanning yeah 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 go to the tanning the tanning yeah. booth and all that so it was more about the external right yeah and then absolutely. eventually you uh you got led into more of what you're doing today which is something yeah. that gives you those external results but is something that's more sustainable and so i always try to explain to people what you do and it's difficult to me at this point because as you said it's been 12 years of your evolution as a trainer and just a fitness fanatic but i always say well he does like sustainable fitness it's like fitness that actually improves the way your body functions not just the way your body looks so yeah, yeah. you want to lose weight you want to get stronger more mobility more flexibility all that is there in what you do but 
it's actually coming from a place of making your body healthier, not doing shit that just makes you look good, but gets you hurt. Mm-hmm. And so what was the first thing that you sort of learned that was outside of that paradigm that led you toward this more like functional movement uh, thing that you're doing now? Well, I could just kind of, I know I've been backing up a little bit further than uh, your questions uh, or whatnot, but I mean, snowboarding is an extreme sport, right? And it beat me up pretty good. Although I was very successful at it, there was a pretty high price to pay for that. Um, And then also having a pretty gnarly injury in gymnastics, high as a kite when I was like 13 or something, doing a double front flip. And halfway in between the double front flip off of the trampoline, I like paused and just stopped moving and boom, landed right on my head and wound up on a stretcher going to the emergency room. And then I was stuck in a neck brace. Um, And then on top of that, nobody gave me anything to do. There was no therapy after that. They're like, oh, he's a young kid. Just go get back in the game. You almost broke your neck. Who knows? I got a couple of uh, people I grew up with back in the day that are paralyzed, one neck down, another one waist down uh, from snowboarding. So it's it's a high-risk uh, sport. And I had felt the effects of it. But then, like we were talking about the bodybuilding, I was training in a way and trying to be healthy. But over the years, from like 16 till about, I'd say 24, 25, that was my approach. And I started to feel all the things that had happened to me through, say, a lot of whiplash, right? So snowboarding, you fall, it's whiplash. It's like you get hit by sometimes a Mack truck. Sometimes you get hit by an SUV. Sometimes you get hit by a VW. You never know. It could be powder. It could be hard pack. But either way, you're getting rattled. And then I was like, you know, let's see, when I started the personal training thing, 23, 24 as well, I just felt like it was all adding up and getting worse, not getting better. And I'm like eating McDonald's, I'm eating Wendy's, I'm eating Taco Bell, I'm eating KFC because I got to get my calories in. Like there's just so many myths that I bought into because I got to <laughs> get big, get big, get big and gain right. weight. Right. We're like, what's that deal? I, I remember like uh, our buddy Ryan, when he was like wanting to get ripped, he'd be yeah. like, I got to eat 40 grams of protein every 20 minutes. He would like, remember that? Like always have these like, chicken breasts and shit and I'm like yeah. protein shakes constantly I'm like I don't think it's good it's very acidic like from my yeah. point of view I was like dude you're you're making yourself very acidic by eating that much just look protein. at all the ingredients and like the protein shakes the pre-workout stuff the after workout stuff it's all 100% gnarly and that's yeah. what happened it just compounded it was like yeah. a snowball just got bigger and so bigger so you're like you're taking uh, you know a blueprint of a body that's been wrecked by yeah. the extreme sports and stuff and then you basically just start like adding muscle onto a dysfunctional body with you injuries. You say stacking tension okay. on top of already a whole lot of trauma. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Okay, well yeah. put. And so what's the first thing you get into when you start breaking out of that paradigm of like the protein shakes and getting big and like injuring yourself, trying to push too much weight and all that kind of shit? Well, you know, fortunately, but unfortunately, uh, I think it was 25. I got in a car accident. I got hit in the driver's side door and again, tweaked my neck. Uh, you know, there's. I just found out there's a uh, fracture through C2 in my spine, and then there's a whole bunch of other stuff that's been ongoing, and it's been about a nine-year ordeal of chronic pain. Um, but the car accident was like what put the nail in the coffin. It was just like you have to change. And I always, at the same time, like 
okay, that was like something I was very aware of and very conscious of, but I'm learning a little bit more like studying these more, again, let's go traditional, traditional personal training, and I'm getting these certifications, and I'll just go there, and I'm just like, there's something missing. Like, more subtle than, say, the car wreck, more subtle than the pain, but there was something always saying me, like, you could do better. You, there's something out there, like, you just, you haven't found it yet, and I'm a seeker, and so I just kept searching, kept searching, but I just felt like, where is the missing link in the chain? It's got to be out there, and so I started asking different people, and I was training with a buddy of mine, Mark Wildman, uh, who runs Wildman Athletica, and we would go and we would travel to these, you know, certifications together, but we would always end up in these pretty cool conversations at the end, and it was always about, like, things that were missing, or at least what felt uh, like they were missing to us. Maybe not to everybody else, but I just felt like my time, it was over to train like that. It wasn't doing for me what it once did, and at the same time, I wasn't getting the results that I once did, and then you add the pain in there, and I was just like, what else is there? And I remember seeing him, because he was training with me um, at that same time, up in 24-hour fitness, and he had kettlebells. And he was also into martial arts, and some different like Wing Chun, and things like of that nature. And I'd, I'd never seen a kettlebell before. And so I just started asking him, I was like, yo, but like, dude, we've been doing these other like certifications, but I see you're implementing some new stuff. And he's like, yeah, well, I started studying RKC through Pavel. And then he was starting circular strength, studying circular strength training with club bells. And then I started to say, well, what's a club bell? And that just le led me into a new uh, shift in paradigm. And it totally flipped everything that I was doing upside down. So he started, you know, basically coaching me. I would drive all the way out to like Silver Lake area and uh, I would get a couple sessions with him a week and then I wanted to know more. So I'd take him out to dinner. I'd pay for dinner and I'd bring a notebook and I would sit down and I would just ask so many questions and be like, all right, so then when you do this and you do this and I just started learning about program design with a new implement and I really liked that the approach was all about the basics again because for me it was like, all right, you start with a 180, then you go to a 360, then you go to a 540, then a 720, then a 900. So like I understood progression, but again, nobody taught me how to apply that with training. It was like, you just go lift a bunch of weights, you do chest presses, you do lat pulls, you do pull-ups, you do push-ups, um, you do deadlifts, you do squats, you do these machines. And there was all kinds of machines in the commercial fitness industry. And it just didn't seem like that was the answer. And then when he showed me what he was doing with the kettlebells and the clubs, I was just like, aha, this seems to resonate a whole lot more because it's based on fundamental human movement patterns or fundamental human movements. And there was actually a protocol, like there was a progression in movement complexity. And I was like, aha, I get that. That's a big missing link. Let's start to research that a little bit more. I remember the first time I saw a kettlebell. Now they're everywhere. I mean, you see them, like mm -hmm. you go stay in some cheesy hotel, like at the airport in the gym, they'll have a couple kettlebells, you know? Yep. But I remember when you first found those things and for me, that was not being, I'm, you know, obviously not a sporty kind of athletic guy. It takes a lot for me to like make myself go exercise or be fit. Mm -hmm. But I liked the kettlebells because you didn't have to do it in a gym yeah. and there were movements you could do and the same with club bells and I want you to explain kind of what both of those are for people listening that don't know still especially the club bells I think are a bit more obscure still um, but I like that you could do it outside and that there were actual like kind of 
I don't know, flow-based natural movements you could do that weren't based in a machine where you're like locked into a little chair doing these repetitive mm-hmm. movements. It just never... First of all, I don't like the lighting in the gym. I hate the fucking yeah. music in the gym. And I always found the gym's air to be so toxic, especially when they build a new gym. Because yeah. all the rubber and plastic and shit they use on the floors. I mean, I'm like a non-toxic household guy. Yeah. So I go in the gym and I'm looking at this toxic lighting, the toxic air, these unnatural repetitive movements. And I'm like, this is like the most unhealthy place you could ever be. Yeah. But when kettlebells came out used to take me to the park and i was like oh sick i could get on the lawn and be grounded and be out in the sun and it was like a way to be in nature but you can work your ass off with a kettlebell at the same time so i remember in the beginning you explained to me how the kettle and this is i'm going to explain it in my in my 12 year memory and then you know layman's terms but I kind of got the idea that if you're swinging a a kettlebell around that since it's round, it has this sort of centrifugal force that pulls in every direction. And so the way it feels to me is like if I play with a kettlebell and do anything, I have to use kind of my core. Mm -hmm. Like my whole body is activated by using that thing. Whereas if you just grab a dumbbell and like do some curls, like the rest of your body can just be falling to pieces. And the only thing you have to worry about is that you're having some Mm -hmm. tension in your arm basically. But if you start swinging around a kettlebell, it does, it seems to like pull in all these different directions and really forces you to stabilize your whole body, which I liked because it just, it's more interesting and novel to my mind. So what's Mm -hmm. the deal with why would somebody swing a kettlebell instead of just pushing weights on a bar? Well, I would say each tool to me, and this is based on my own experience, each tool is great at what it does, but it's not great at everything. Um, Just like there's a lot of great systems, but I don't find one system to just be the end-all, be-all answer. So the kettlebell for me was my first introduction to using, like you said, a portable tool, but a tool that could be used in a more dynamic nature. There you and go. Yeah, for yeah. me, something that was more dynamic than, say, a machine where you literally get locked in a position, which means you're getting locked out of a whole lot of other ranges of motion, to me, that's not very free and liberating. And why I really love training or using my body is because the main goal and focus for me is freedom like freedom in terms of even my mind, my emotions, and freedom as far as movement is concerned. And when I got introduced to the kettlebell and also to the club bells, what was great is Pavel and then there was also Scott Sonnen with the club bell. They were also bringing in a heavy emphasis on mobility. And again, I really was searching for freedom because I felt so limited, just like you. When you sat in the machine, you're like locked in this thing and it just didn't feel natural. But I would say those machines are highly effective for what they're designed to do and they do them the best. Like I don't knock bodybuilding. I don't knock barbells. I don't knock dumbbells. I don't knock any of the tools. It's just for me, I got to ask myself, why am I using each tool? And I love kettlebells for developing linear strength which isn't really dynamic. And the reason is because you can really get good at those basics. And if you get good at the basics, you can get or become more dynamic. And it has the potential to do that as long as you build the foundation. So for a strength tool, the kettlebell was like, boom, that's it. This is a great way to build strength in a more, to me, natural way or a more free way. Then also, 
a whole lot more potential. And then I saw the club bell and I was like, okay, this is more dynamic than say even the kettlebell. And again, if I follow that same process, starting with regressions and building up and progressions of complexity, well, guess what? There's a great potential and I'll get more done in less time the more dynamic the movement is. Doesn't mean that dynamic movement is the answer either. But that's the reason I started to gravitate towards those uh, two implements. I think why I like those two tools in particular is because it's not boring to me. <laughs> like, well, you my, better stay present with them or yeah, they're going to get you. Yeah, I mean, yeah. My f I think my favorite like fitness tool is the club bell. Mm -hmm. which I'll have you explain in a second for people that don't even know what that is because it's still, I think, a little fringe for people that aren't super into fitness. But you have to pay attention when you're swinging. Uh, what are those? They're made of iron, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you're yeah. swinging like heavy iron shit around. It could hit you in the shins. It could hit you in the head. It's like, like a cannonball with a handle on right, it. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And then the club bell being like basically like a thick baseball bat that's iron that can weigh between what, like... Uh, I mean, they start at five pounds, they go all the way up to 45 pounds. Right. And then when you're swinging it, like what you were talking about, that's the other aspect that I liked is with a kettlebell, if you swing it, or with a club bell, if you swing it, you're producing traction. So a lot of the lifts that I was doing early on, and even with those tools, you can still do uh, different ways of developing strength with more compressive forces where you're actually compressing the joints, right? But if you start to swing a tool that is weighted, well, guess what? You're going to get traction, which is pull from the connective tissue, which actually helps make healthier joints as well. Right. Yeah. That's see. That's what it is. It's like it's more fun and interesting. And after you do some work with, I mean, depending on the movements that you do, but from my like subjective experience, if I swing around some kettlebells or club bells afterward, I don't feel like all my muscles are contracting and getting shorter. Mm -hmm. It's like I got a massage or I did yoga, mm -hmm. but I feel that like testosterone boost because I've been working my ass off and like breathing and sweating and like my heart rate's gone up, but it's different than like trapping myself under a bench press and like mm -hmm. having those muscles just like get tighter and tighter and shrink up and yeah maybe they grow but i don't get the feeling of like wow i'm like more fluid and you mentioned the mobility piece i don't feel like i've gained any mobility but i guess it just depends on what your goal is too i mean yeah, yeah if you isolate a certain part of your pecs in a bench press and you're pushing like heavy weight, then yeah, you're going to build muscle in just that area. And that's what your goal is to do. That's I guess, point. I guess yeah. just for me, I've never had a goal in fitness of like building a particular muscle. I just want to feel good. I want to feel stronger. And I really just want that high that comes from a good workout. But yeah. if it doesn't engage my mind with a certain degree of complexity, it's like, I just can't stand it. It's so boring. Well, the nervous system thrives on movement complexity. So if we don't tap into that, we're actually losing a part of ourselves that's very necessary as, as far as change, uh, as far as growth, evolving, uh, optimizing oneself. Like that's a big factor. And that's going back to like kids sitting in schools. I mean, dude, if you want your kids to excel in school, like let them move, get them out in the playground, get them out in the dirt, in the grass, under the sun and just playing, you know, they're probably going to do a whole lot better. Yeah. So uh, let's, let's move into now the mobility piece because we talked about the strength that comes. And yeah, if you pick up anything heavy and do anything with it, you're going to gain strength, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of a no-brainer. But then... But there's more effective ways and some ways that aren't effective. Like if we look at breaking down movement, well, we should be talking about technique. 
because we're going to be adapting to something and I'd rather the adaptations be more positive adaptations rather than just making my compensations that I'm already bringing to the table stronger. No, I want to actually find out what are my weaknesses and start to work on addressing those. I'm already strong in certain areas. I don't need to make those strengths stronger, but also if I'm going to spend the time, I want to get the most out of it. So for me, it's all about technique. Like you could have, you know, this person over here use a kettlebell and this person over here use a kettlebell and someone could end up getting injured the other person not well if you have a good understanding of the tool and how to use it you can be very effective with it and get a lot of results out of it okay so let's talk about how that plays into mobility because this Mm -hmm. is something that you work on a lot like we did an assessment the other day yeah that was fun you guys listen (laughs) (laughs) it's like cody has this discovery session system he's been trained in and he's you know yeah he's like well i was like "Ah, i want to get back into training because i got distracted this year and i kind of fell off and then i hurt my knee and whatever so I'm like, I get back in. He's like, all right, let's just start from scratch. So you did this assessment on me and found that, I don't know, 95% of the joints in my body don't actually function as a joint is meant to function by nature uh, according to its range of motion. So how does mobility play into the foundation of fitness? Because you always talk, you're like, if, when a client comes in to see you, the first thing you do is assess their mobility. You're not like, all right, take your shirt off. Do you have a six pack? Like that shit doesn't even matter. It's like, do you have the framework by which to build strength and to build muscle or whatever it is you're trying to build? So what's, wanna, what's the deal with the joint mobility? Why is that so important? Well, I want to find out what, the range, what ranges of motion you have with each joint in the body. And then I want to also see if you're able to control those ranges of motion. Um, so we're dealing with mechanical issues and then we're also going to be dealing with neurological issues. We're also dealing with body control and body control pretty much helps you at everything. doesn't matter what you're doing from daily tasks to sports, hobbies, activities, whatever it might be, that's going to make you a better human. And like, that's the crux of what I do. Like, I honestly just like helping people be better human beings from the inside out. Um, So when I started hearing about mobility, I was like, aha, another missing link working from the inside out rather than what I was doing, working from the outside in thinking it was going to actually take care of me over the long haul. So for me, mobility is like the way it's been explained. So I study functional range conditioning through Dr. Andrew Ospina and also uh, Dr. Shivers. And he was explaining to me one day, he's like, does your shoulder work like a shoulder? And does your shoulder work nice? Yes or no? You know? And if not, let's work on helping your shoulder work like a shoulder and let's help your shoulder work nice. So we could say there's prerequisites for movement in terms of complexity, but there's also prerequisites in terms of the movement you're going to ask your body to actually perform. So at Story Fitness, my gym down on Pico here in Los Angeles, when someone walks through the door, guess what? They're bringing their whole history, everything they've done with them into their movement practice. So I want to help them be a better human being. Well, we're going to start from the inside out and we're going to do more good rather than do more harm because people wouldn't be coming to me if everything was awesome, right? There's obviously some things going on and they want help and I just try to help offer a new paradigm, a new approach, a new way to think. And if we can start thinking differently, we can actually, through changing the mind, change our actions and get a new result because if the things were working that you were already doing, you wouldn't be in my studio. So when I 
ask people, like say on an intake form, I want to know all the activities that they're doing and I want to know all the activities that they'd like to do that maybe they're not even able to do because of some reasons. One of them being pain, right? So prerequisites. If you want to press something overhead, your arm should be able to go two inches behind your ear, right? If not, well, I'm going to end up running into a restriction and I'm going to start stealing motion from other joints, which happens to be compensations. And I personally know where compensations lead. They led me to the same place, aches, pains, and injuries. So I want to help mitigate injury. And that's my number one job as a coach is to make sure everything is safe. So if I don't respect what somebody's bringing into the door based on their restrictions, we're going to do more harm and I want to help people heal. So we're going to assess each joint in the body. And if you want to press things overhead or you want to do pull-ups or muscle-ups or uh, swing a club bell, we want to make sure that your shoulder has the potential to do what you're going to be asking your body to do, even if it's lose weight or build muscle or gain better energy, uh, become a better human, whatever your goal might be. If we start there and we just go ahead and nip it in the bud now, we're going to have a whole lot more potential because restriction, even on a joint level, is still restriction. So you're not going to be able to reach your potential if you're limited. So I look at mobility like it's the thing that allows us to move freely and allows us to tap into more of our potential. That's what's so weird when you <laughs> when you do the assessment like that is you can feel the compensation of other joints yeah so it's difficult to do like on audio obviously where we have this on video but we're not going to get on the floor in a yoga mat and start doing mobility drills and we will do another video at your studio <laughs> it's it. just video but for the sake of the podcast for you guys listening you know when we did my assessment you know say you lay on your back and you part your feet and you want to check the internal and external rotation of your hip right on one yeah. side and so essentially you're moving your knee or your thigh to the left and to the right and you're you know you're figuring out how much mobility you have and what's interesting is I think I have a lot more mobility because my lower back lifts off the ground and all of a sudden like my lower spine or pelvis stealing. or whatever yep. is stealing mobility that gives me the illusion like, oh, my hip works fine. But actually, if you isolate that joint and just look at the range of motion that you have in that joint, you don't have shit. Yeah. And what's crazy is that, I mean, I know I'm not like a really fit guy. I've never, you know, I haven't taken care of my body in that way much in my life um you know in the last few years yes but what's trippy for me is when guys come into your spot and they look super ripped or even like when you came and did like that big group training at neil strauss's yeah. uh, mastermind intensive yeah. and there were i won't name names but there were a couple really big fitness guys there and mm -hmm. you were leading you know these drills and afterward i was like hey was that guy you know was he like badass and fit and you're like oh no his body's totally locked up he has no mobility and i'm well, like you're God. gonna have a very hard time like you can look that you can look ripped is what i'm saying on the outside yeah. you're like oh my god that guy's in great shape but when you start looking at the mobility piece it's like dude you can it reveals everything is what yeah. i'm what i'm starting to find and so you could take someone who maybe doesn't look that great naked but they might have a really good range of motion, which means that they have a pretty pain-free existence inside their body. They're walking around in a meat suit that feels fluid and is very mobile, even though they might not aesthetically be that ripped. But mm -hmm. if you build on the mobility, 
then you have a platform through the strength and condition and all that to actually get the aesthetic look too, if yeah. that's what your goal and is. And we want to back up that mobility with stability. Like being loosey-goosey right. is another, um, let's say, demographic that walks through my door. Sometimes we have extra the type yogis? people. Yeah, sometimes we have super loosey <laughs> The younger girls? It could be even yeah. genetics. It could be yogis. It could be genetics. And I love yoga. I still implement certain aspects of it. You know, I find things that serve me and things that don't. And that's what I do with pretty much every system that I explore. Um, but yeah, if someone walks in and they're super mobile, you know what? They might not be that stable. So for them to develop strength, it's been very challenging in their past. And I want to go ahead and address that. But at the same time, someone that's super tight could be super strong, but not that mobile. So it's going to be more challenging for that individual to develop mobility. So everybody's got their own needs and we need to, or at least I consider as much as possible to give them the highest quality service. So what's the difference between flexibility and mobility? I would say one is active and one is passive. Mm -hmm. So mobility to me would be the ability to control actively the joint into its full range of motion and out of that full range of motion. Um, to me, flexibility would be something passive, like I said. So if you could do the splits on the ground, my question is, why can't you stand up and do the splits on one leg with your foot going over your head? Well, your nervous system doesn't understand that flexibility. It does not have the ability to control that range of motion. So being bendy from doing years of like slow stretch yoga isn't necessarily giving your joints mobility. Yeah, if we look at the definition in that term, to me, you're going to have a whole lot more potential behind a mobility or a functional mobility approach Yeah, Yeah, because it's not really useful. I mean, it can actually uh, increase the risk of injury. You're just bendy, but there's no strength and stability and no neurological control. So to me, it's a big uh, window for... Uh, or a higher risk for injury to occur. And we want to, like I was saying, we want to mitigate the potential for injury happening. I would like to look like super hot with my shirt off on Instagram and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I'm, what am I, 40, 46? So mm-hmm. I don't know if I should still be bothering with that. But more than anything, what really appeals to me and makes me want to do the work is to be able to move like a baby does or like an ape does. Like when I see you do your mobility drills when I'm in your spot and you're just off doing your own thing, I'm like, God, it must be so fun to be able to move like that or like our mutual friend daniel vitalis who's into Mm. a lot of the same stuff you do i mean that guy just he's like a freaking ape the way that he moves around and rolls around and can just Mm. run across the room and you know jump on his belly and roll around and pop right back out he's just like he's able to do things and you're able to do things i'm like god it would be fun to just have that much command over not only my body but like you said the nervous system to be able to tell my my limbs and my joints and my muscles, what I want them to do and have them be able to respond quickly because that communication between my will and the nervous system is turned on. Mm-hmm. Whereas like there's things you'll have me do in there and I'm like, oh, that looks easy because I watch you do it or watch someone else do it. I'm like, can you just stand, like you said, can you just stand still and like lift your knee up to your chest and at what point do you get a pinch in the hip? I'm like, yeah, I can lift it about three inches unassisted, mm-hmm. you know, but I might be able to go to do yoga like I go to Kundalini Yoga and I'm more flexible than a lot of people in there, mm-hmm. but that flexibility doesn't do anything for me in terms of being more mobile. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I still have joints that are totally locked up. And um, and the bottom line is I just, I'm in a lot of physical pain, you know? So it's the motivator of like pain and just having the freedom to move where if I'm on a hike and I want to just jump on a tree and climb up it really quick, 
I'm not going to be risking a major injury because my body's going, what the hell are you doing? You've never mm-hmm. done this kind of movement before. You could do it. If you watch a little kid, like a three, four-year-old little kid. Goo-ball. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like, you go, how can they move like that? They're flexible, but they also have this certain sort of dexterity that's yeah. just, it's cool. And that's Resilience. How I mean, I think resilience is a great goal to go after. You know, to be able to handle the stresses of life, to be able to handle the stresses of training and do it in a healthy way. Because mm-hmm. if you, like you're saying, like, I might have these goals or these things I want to achieve, but we were talking about, what, knee pain the other day, and it's one of the reasons you're not really gravitating towards training right now, right? That's a limiting factor. So why don't we spend some time and work towards clearing that up? And it might be through mobility, but then maybe you need some more external therapy as well to facilitate that, right? So for me, helping people feel better, I find they're more inclined to actually do the things that they're going to need to do to achieve their goals because you're experiencing it right now. And that's why we're saying, all right, that's your priority. All right, we got these other joints and you know they have restrictions and that they're not going to allow you to do the things you want to do unless you force them into those positions which isn't a really great thing to do one day it will be a bad idea um, so let's go ahead and make a priority list you don't have to do 30,000 things but can we start with three and let's go ahead and clear up say hip flexion and let's clear up uh, hip internal rotation we'll start there and then down the line we could get to say the ankle or the big toe or the shoulders like we were talking about so it takes time but I think it's a very high value or it should be prioritized as far as when we're looking at these external goals for sure. Let's take a brief intermission to tell you about the upcoming launch of my brand new 90-day lifestyle design coaching program where you can have the opportunity to work one-on-one with me. Just go to lukestory.com forward slash coaching to apply for a free 15-minute assessment call. We're going to have a quick chat to discover what your blocks are and find out how we can move you through them. Using my 20 years of experience in the fields of health and personal development, I'm going to guide you through my system of revolutionary mental, physical, and emotional transformation. This program is fully immersive. It's a deep dive into my nature-based philosophy of personal optimization. So based on your personal needs, we're going to work together to map out a blueprint for creating the happy and healthy lifestyle that you deserve, as well as a very practical approach to spirituality that you can actually carry into your relationships, your career, and your future. Here's the deal though. Space for this program is very limited. I'm not even joking. I can only take on five clients per month, period. So go to lukestory.com forward slash coaching to apply for your free 15-minute consultation with me. And now back to the interview. So what's the deal with what happens after you've got you know a safe degree of joint mobility you've got some strength, you have stability, you have some resilience, and then like you've built that foundation and you're ready to go balls out and train hardcore. What you do that's interesting that I I see a lot of people don't get is that they like want to lose weight or get in shape or build muscle or whatever it is, and they'll be training six, seven days a week, like lifting weights, cardio, yep. this and that, and the way that you're, the system you put together, you know, most of your classes within this are 
7 a.m. So I don't make it to many of them anymore. <laughs> but I did. If you remember, I did, did have a girlfriend. For a while. Did for I had a, while. a girlfriend for a period of time that was like a morning person, which I'm not. And so she'd be like, cool, it's 10 p.m. Let's go to bed because I want to get up and go to Cody's at 7. Yeah. And we would wake up at like 6, 6.30 and come work out. And the ice bath was getting you in there. Yeah, and the ice bath. That's always <laughs> a, you, If there's an ice bath somewhere, you can lure me just about anywhere. But what I noticed that's cool is you have this sort of wave to your training where like there's a day where you do mobility and then there's a level one intensity on say Tuesday, then Wednesday's level two, then there's a hardcore day, then there's a rest day, then there's starting out of mobility. It kind of goes in this wave, whereas a lot of people get gung-ho and they're like, cool, I'm going to work out on a you know scale of one to 10, 10 intensity for two hours at the gym, seven days a week. And mm-hmm. they're just like wrecking themselves. So what's your position on like where does the line of overtraining and you know being too enthusiastic versus um waving the intensity like you do i never really asked i don't know why you do that i'm just Mm -hmm. like i like this because i feel like i'm able to recover in between Mm -hmm. well balls to the wall or like hardcore or beast mode is very marketable (laughs) <laughs> hashtag, beast mode. <laughs> hashtag beast mode. I was watching a stand-up comic a couple days ago. Oh, what's that dude's name? Oh my god, he was talking about. I did an Instagram story, but he was talking about the gym shots, and like mm-hmm. hashtag beast mode, and all that funny shit. Yeah. Chris Dayaqua or some shit. Anyway, so yeah, go beast mode. You know, <laughs> at your own risk. I used to do it. You know, so I'm no different. It just stopped working for me. You know, I got really good results, like I said, then I plateaued and then I got diminishing returns and then I literally had pain and injury, right? Well, that's usually the merry-go-round. We'll get on and get off and get on and get off and we have the best of intentions. So sustainability, you know, it was obvious what I was doing was not sustainable. It was obvious my priorities were like, upside down. So I had to, you know, come to terms with my priorities. But sustainability, first thing I like to learn about the individual is like we said, we did a mobility assessment. What's your starting point with stress? Where are you at in your life? Dude, we're living in Los Angeles. I'm I'm training and coaching people from down the street. They might own businesses. They might be in a nine to five office job, um, very stagnant or sedentary lifestyle. But then they got a couple kids. They got a husband or a wife. They got a lot of obligations and things that they got to do. Um, so the hustle bustle living in the rat race, it's very stressful compared to like what we're designed to do. Um, so I see that not enough recovery is another big limiting factor for somebody achieving their goals. So I want to find out what is your starting point with stress and can we start tapping you into a more sustainable wave of intensity? And I was introduced uh, through TACFIT system about what a wave cycle is. And so we're going to look at no intensity, low intensity, moderate and high intensity. And what we're doing is we're waving those intensities and we're going to prioritize recovery and recovery is going to be the dominant thing that I'm going to be doing or what I teach a client. So recovery will be greater than the actual training. And then at certain times when somebody needs to peak, say for an event or some special thing that they need to do, well, we'll ramp it up. But again, we're not going to do that past maybe three months. And then we're going to cycle back off that. Just like I'm not going to just train with kettlebells 365 days out of the year. I'm going to cycle that. Well, what if we cycled our stress levels? What if we cycled our intensity? Um, What if we cycled our energy levels? And then let's start talking about a lot of other things. So for me, I try to help people tap into their recovery. And the more recovery recovered they are, again, the better result they're going to get. 
So when you come in to do a story fitness class, which is my favorite thing, because, you know, I got the keys to your gym. I can go in there whenever I want to yeah. work out. But let's face it, if I go in there by myself, I'm going to like roll around on the mats and like stretch a little bit, like throw some little kettlebells around. But I'm not going to like work hard. Mm -hmm. But what I like about your classes is that it starts out with, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes of mobility which are based on the more loaded movements you're going to do, right? Mm -hmm. uh, whether it be body weight or, or using you know, weights or whatever. And then there's really like a 20-minute window of super intense kick your ass, depending on you know, the level of intensity that day or what your particular level of intensity is that you're able to do. But then there's this compensation afterward, which is like this getting your parasympathetic nervous system back on board and breathing. And it's almost like a little mini yoga class to me. So why do you do the mobility, then the high intensity, then the compensation afterward? What's the purpose of that formula? It's also just like I could wave Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, right? No, low, moderate, high intensity, come back down, no, low, moderate, high intensity. So on the fourth day, you're going to peak out at a high intensity level. But what about when you're training? Like there's recovery in movement, if you understand movement. There's recovery in the design of the program. And I love program design. So for me, it's warm up, workout, cool down. Well, you could plug anything in there you want as a coach. And that's program design. I just wanted to study a more intelligent process so the selection of mobility drills are specific to priming the joints for the movements we're going to be training. And then again, more of a safeguard. But then also, if they're coming in with restric restrictions and they're tight, maybe it's early in the morning, the body's still a little bit cool. Maybe they came in from the office later in the evening for a class, their body's a little tight from just sitting all day. Well, we want to prime those joints. We want to prep them and get them ready for the training. And then the training is going to be 20 minutes and it's going to be moderate to high intensity training. And I pretty much check in with each person, person as they come through the door and we're going to talk and, you know, what have you been doing? What's going on in your life? Or I've known them. I've already got rapport. They've been there for a little while. But new people always say, look, just go chill today. Don't even worry about working out right now. Like, honestly, come in, go through the mobility drills. They're specific to get you ready for the training. Then we're going to train. It's only 20 minutes. Some classes are 30 minutes. Um, but again, it's moderate to high intensity. And I'd really like you to be more moderate and even low in the beginning and just work on really good technique. I'm not worried about them coming coming in and going bananas right out the gate and their stress level is already a 10 because I see it all the time on intake for forms. I ask them on a, on a scale of one to 10, where do you think you're at with uh, stress? 10 being the most stressed out, just completely maxed out going bananas. And they're usually between an eight and a 10. So what, I'm going to come in and make them more stressed out? And I don't really look at that as a sustainable approach. I don't look at that as a healthy approach. I don't look at it like it's a very uh, competent idea. So I try to help people like we're talking about, make better decisions and comfort them and let them know, yeah, there's going to be hard work to do. Of course, we're going to eventually get there, but we're not going to do it in one day and you're just coming off of doing X, Y, and Z. So let's be a little slower in the approach. Let's go on the training and then when they're done with the training to get back on your question we go through compensation and that's to do what 
Well, it's to unload or deload the stress that we just placed on the body by taking the joint and moving it into the opposite direction and then activating the tissues on the opposing side of the stuff we just activated during training. So it's a more intelligent, health-based, mindful approach to training the body for the long haul. And to me, it's all about sustainability, longevity, and quality of life, well-being, and that physique goal you have should be the byproduct of actually f- sticking to the script. That's the way it definitely has been for me. Cause of course, like I want the, <laughs> you know, the I want the effect of like, you know, looking good, mm-hmm. but that just like has become a secondary goal and has been achieved when I'm consistent, obviously. But what I like about coming in and training with you or doing your classes is that say for each movement, like it's, um, you know, an overhead press with a kettlebell or it's like, depending on the person, if I cleared them to press something overhead or doing like, you know, using the gymnastics rings and doing those little pull up things, whatever, any kind of movement. What's cool to me is there's always a regression or progression. So like for each move, there's like three or four different levels of badassness, but the goal is not to like push it hard the goal is to get the form right yeah and i like that because my mind has got to be interested otherwise if i'm just like the like sitting there unconscious half asleep lifting weights or something it's it's so boring for me like intellectually i just can't stand it it's like why am i doing this Mm -hmm. but if i'm trying to perfect the movement that's actually really fun to keep the form right and keep you know be conscious of your core and like keeping your whole body really stable not just paying attention to your bicep or something or not just running on a treadmill while Watching the latest movie on your <laughs> watching iPad. CNN, yeah, watching right. fake news, <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with it. I don't judge it at all. It's just, what do you want? Do you want to watch a movie and run on a treadmill, or do you want what you just said, which is like that's boring to me. Like I need something that's more engaging, and guess what? Something that's also going to give you what positive adaptation. So, yeah, it, that well, that's what's cool, dude. Is when you're paying attention to the form. Then what I find is that. I'm able to actually push hard as I progress each day or each week coming back to yep. class. You're building a foundation. Yeah, because like my form, I'm like, oh shit, like a month ago, I couldn't keep the form and do that many reps or whatever the particular progression is. But because I paid attention to the form, then I can progress. And it's like, I get that little mini sense of accomplishment, which doesn't come like, okay, now I'm lifting more weight, even though it is fun to progress, like with the club bells. Yeah. I remember when I first started, it would like hurt my wrist to swing the heavy ones. And I have to use like the little baby ones, you know? So there, there is that sense of accomplishment from like feeling yourself get stronger and, you know, lifting more weight and stuff. But it's more like, I get a sense of accomplishment just from keeping my form right and then being able to work with a higher intensity without losing the form. So it's like the goal is to push the intensity, keeping the form intact. And if you lose form, then you got to regress. So it's like a self-discipline kind of system. You know, you got your coach, they're saying, oh, you know, like you'll be like, dude, you're not ready for that back up to the Dude, regression. If it's, a, if it's a mess, it's yeah. a mess. I got to cut it because I know you're setting yourself up for failure. Cause and you're, you're cause hurt. you're, you're, are you not, tra- you're training your mind and nervous system to move in a way that's dysfunctional. Well, if we have a movement, well, I'll say this, the joints, right. Need to move in specific ways. They're only designed and capable of doing certain things. So it's like, what is the joint capable of doing or the joints movements, usually multi joint. So there's multiple joints functioning at once. So what are those joints capable of doing in the context of this movement that you would like to produce? 
So if you're doing something with, you know, wonky or just, you know, crazy technique, well, you're not going to be using your joints the way they're designed to function. And again, that's where you're going to end up hurting yourself or end up down the line getting into those aches and pains again. So technique is huge. But what you were saying as far as describing the class is, yeah, there's regressions and there's pregressions to every movement family. So it could be a, say, a jump lunge, which is a lot of people know what a lunge is. So let's use that. Um, There could be a version on your shins just stepping forward with one foot out, one foot back. Maybe we need to add a little bit load. Maybe we start with a box step up. Then we start with a stationary lunge, just moving up and down, no stepping in the lunge. Then maybe we get them to step forward with the lunge. And again, it looks like, oh, it's just a lunge. Well, what's the technique behind the lunge is going to be based on how the joint functions and then where the forces should be going in the tissue. And that's what we call activation. And we want certain lines of activation running through those tissues in a specific way to get a specific result because we don't adapt generally. We adapt specifically, end of story. But then again, once we go from stepping forward with their lunge, we can work on reverse lunging and then we can get into maybe down the line some more explosive movement with the jump lunge if they're ready for it say the connective tissue is conditioned to be able to handle that kind of load because the capacity of the joint has to have the ability to handle the load or again boop, back into injury land so we adapt to a functional movement but isn't the root problem here with most of us that we've adapted to dysfunctional movements and you mentioned the sedentary lifestyle mm-hmm. so I remember before I started training with you, I don't know if you remember this. Remember I had all these problems with my elbows and my wrists. I thought all I had time. carpal tunnel and all this yeah. weird shit. And you're like, dude, you just need to get in and train. And I'm like, no, I need to go get this magnet or laser. <laughs> you know, like, I always <laughs> want to do anything, stuff. but require, not, anything as long as it doesn't require work on my part. But it's Pop funny, dude, because I came in and started doing stuff and not even with that much commitment or consistency. And like, I don't even have that anymore, but I had become adapted to using like an Apple trackpad mm-hmm. and like, you know, being like having guys listening, I'm making like T-Rex arms, you know, but it's like, so I'm hunched over my neck and my head carriage and all that's like leaning forward. Your head weighs what, 12 pounds or mm-hmm. something, you know? So it's like, I'm in this totally dysfunctional position all day long working on my computer and then my body adapts to that and it adapts to function in a way that's really painful and then Mm -hmm. it sort of compounds. So there's like negative adaptation that gets us to come in and see someone like you to undo that, right? Mm -hmm. Well, those are all forces going through the body all day long. Gravity does not sleep and neither does the degeneration process. Like we're all dying, that's the reality. What kind of life do you want to have until that day comes, right? So, yeah, if you're sitting at a desk and working on a computer all day long, if you don't use these other ranges of motion, you're going to lose the capacity to move those joints in that way. And then if you talk maybe like, let's just go circulation-wise, right? If a stream is flowing, it's going to be a very healthy stream, right? If you start to block the water up, what's going to 
happen? Well, you're going to get like a pond. If you look at a pond, what grows in the pond? It gets all murky, all kinds of crazy things start to grow in it. It's a very, let's say it's a more unhealthy form of water. It could be purified for sure, but I look at my joints in the same way. It's all about circulation and I'm not just circulating blood flow. I'm also talking to the nervous system. I'm also going to be creating circulation with synovial fluid. So if you're just working like this all day long and you're hunching over and you're stuck in these positions, if you don't take those joints through their full range of motion, how are you going to feed your connective tissue, which is surrounding all the joints? Well, you're not going to be able to do that. But mobility and movement can allow actually that process to happen where you start to allow the connective tissue to gain access to the nutrition you're even eating, right? So if I don't move and I don't mobilize my joints, I could eat all the awesome supplements in the world and eat all kinds of good organic food food, but if I don't move, I'm not even going to be getting what I'm paying for from my food. So do mobility. So if you're spending, you know, 500 bucks a month on these fancy supplements and you're just sitting there stagnant at your desk, sending emails all day That's not going to fix your joints. It's not going to fix right. your connective so, tissue. Right, so, I mean, even if you're, say you're taking stuff that is good for your joints, like you're taking glucosamine, what is that, chondro, what's that glucosamine? I don't even all that know because I don't take it. Whatever that stuff, but I, the way I'm hearing you is like, if you're not moving sufficiently and you're not moving the fluids around your body, then all those things that you're taking aren't even getting into the places that they're supposed yeah. to be fixing. Because synovial fluid is the stuff that ships the nutrients to the tendons and the ligaments and the capsules. So without that, yeah, you're not going to be getting the joint product supplement that you're taking. Like it's not going to do much if you're not mobilizing your joints. Right, because from what I understand, ligaments and tendons don't get a lot of blood flow and that's why they heal so slowly, yep. right? Yep. If ever. Yep. Yeah. So what would happen if you started working on mobility? Right. Then you're getting juices in them, in them nooks Sino and crannies. Synovial fluids. All mm -hmm. right. That's cool. That's cool information. Okay. And then... Uh, Let's see. Let's see. What else do I want to ask you? So many things. So many things. So uh, where does uh, where does body work play into this? I know you've you've had you know rolfing done. You get a lot of massages and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. How important it is for people to be using things like rolling around on, say, a foam roller or um, on a tennis ball or what are those little harder balls, lacrosse balls, lacrosse balls stuff yeah. like that? Like, yeah. what does tissue manipulation do for you? Is there any place for that? Well, you could say the same thing. It could uh, help with circulation. You know, it's going, I mean, I'm not a big foam roller guy. I'm not a big lacrosse ball guy. I was for a while there. Um, and it gave me relief from certain things, but it never like produced an adaptation or a change that ever really stuck with me. Um, but it did give me some relief. It made me feel better. Um, it definitely brought in more blood flow and circulation to the tissue. So, or move maybe some lymph around and that's our detoxing, you know, that's the way we detox. So it's like, I think that stuff's cool. Um, I went to massage school for a while and studied it because I wanted to learn more about what it's going to do for the body and lack of maybe understanding or interpretation and application was again my quarrel with the massage world and it was fun I felt good learned a lot of cool stuff um, but it never really brought me lasting results but I don't really look at a massage well let's look at rehab differently you know but I'll go get a massage every couple of weeks for sure just because I think it's important for me to do that for my body and to take care of myself and I think it's important for everybody to do that but if you have an injury and you're rehabbing something it's got to definitely be way more specific so you can use that stuff 
It's cool. It's good. I'd rather find somebody who's in the know with the latest research and science with, with a good interpretation and a good system to apply what they've studied. And that's what I'm tapping into now because I've tried a lot of things. I've tried Graston. I've tried ART. I've done so much rolfing. I've done million kinds of modalities of massage therapy. I've done, what is it? Uh, is it osteopath or something like that? I forget. Um, I've done a lot of stuff, woo-woo stuff, sounding, all kinds of crazy cool things. But again, I didn't. it didn't fix my neck. It didn't fix my shoulder, you know? So that's why I've been on the quest of, What's this mobility thing all about? Because it's force is the language of cells, as I'm learning now. Force is the language of cells. We have internal forces and external forces. So those modalities would be external forces. And if the body adapts in specific ways, well, I want to do or I want my approach to mobility to be specific. Same with someone if they're going to work on me therapeutically. I want those forces going into my body uh, specifically based on science. So we're going to have to consider time or duration of working with that tissue to produce a change if necessary. We're going to have to look at things like the direction of the tissues or the direction of the healing process as far as the scar tissue that's going to be laid down during healing. We're going to want to guide and direct that. Well, what is that? That's force. And that's what we're dealing with is stress. But how are we applying it, whether it's through mobility or how are we applying it, whether it's through massage, uh, physical therapy, uh, manual therapy, whatever word or label you want to slap on that. So is this the stuff that we were working on the other day that you're learning from Andrea Spina? Yep. Functional yep. range conditioning? Is that yeah, what it is? Yeah, FRC, functional range yeah. conditioning. So that's the mobility. So that's internal force. Yeah, internal where force. Where you're like working from the joint from the inside out rather than somebody like, oh, you got a sore knee? Let me massage your knee. Yeah. You're kind of like using the inside. And it's very powerful. And it has a great capability or capacity to help with the healing process, but it also produces adaptation and change, right? But there's right. layers to the system. It's not like, oh, I just push my foot into this position and then I hang out and I'm good. Like, no, there's like level one, level two, or layer one, layer two. There's a lot of layers to the system, so it's effective and a safe process to get you the result you want. I love body work. Like, dude, mm -hmm. I could go get a massage for five hours. Like, I, I'm yeah. totally into it. But you're right that in my experience, it doesn't change or fix a problem. Like, I've had a back problem for years. I've Didn't had some it. of the best body work in the world you could have. And it's just like, cool. Feels good. There's temporary relief. But I don't ever get fixed from that body work. Yeah. But it's interesting. When we did that stuff the other day, the FRC stuff, I realized later that night, I was like, oh, this is weird. I feel like I had a massage, mm -hmm. but all we did was really like work on my hips, yep. just like the range of motion in my hips, but it was that internal force. Yep. And it was like, wow, I just felt fluid like in my pelvis and even in my lower back, it was trippy. I felt like somebody had worked on those areas or that like the same sense of relief I'd get from rolling around on a lacrosse ball and really digging into my hips and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But nobody touched me at all. I didn't do yeah. any of that. Yeah, it was a internal force. And you gave your body the inputs by placing your joints in certain positions and then applying a certain process. And 
that's why you felt like that afterwards. Yeah, so yeah, you have internal and external forces. And the other half of that system is FR, functional release. And that's the therapeutic approach. But again, it's built on the same scientific principles. So imagine if you got somebody working on you with the same understanding that you're going about your mobility. I think you got a pretty good system there to do a lot that's of good cool. work. That's cool, yeah, yeah, for sure. So what's the magic number 20? Like why are the high, the hit or the high intensity interval trainings 20 minutes why is that the magic formula because everyone pretty much in like you know modern fitness is into that now i mean you hear like dr joseph mercola and all these people like 20 minutes is the magic number of high intensity what's the deal with that well you're talking about short duration high intensity versus say endurance right because i still hear people like oh dude i'm working out so hard i went to the gym for three hours and i'm always like you realize you could do that in 20 minutes Mm -hmm. so what what's the difference between those two approaches well i'm not a super sciencey guy i'm not a book smart guy at all i just have to look at like what's my experience with training myself that way and then what's my experience working with countless others that way and for me i know also that within I believe it's 14 minutes we can achieve flow state and we can also release all the chemicals in the brain which to me is like yo let's open up that chemistry cabinet in the brain because I know what it's like to not tap into that like when I'm not training or not working out I don't get the benefits of what we've evolved or what we've been built to do so there's a part of me that's missing so i know within 14 minutes you can actually tap into that as far as your hormones as far as the chemicals in the brain and then we want to look at time like in your life right so how much time do you really have if you could get all the benefits in 20 minutes compared to training for two hours or two hours two or three times a day like a professional gymnast let's say well, I also want to look on the sustainability side. But again, it's 20 minutes. I don't want to just make people think like all you got to do is work out for 20 minutes. Like, no, there's other things to be doing outside as well. That's just the laboratory setting for me to give somebody the least amount they need for the greatest return without destroying them, wearing them down, but actually supporting them and helping them rebuild or helping them build themselves up as a better human being. Right. Mm-hmm. Cool. And so do you think there's any point in trying to separate like, oh, on this day I do cardio and this day I do weights. Like it seems like some people still think if you, because weight loss is obviously a huge motivator for a lot of people. Um, But then we got to look at a lot of other things like sleep, hydration, (laughs) nutrition, prayer, meditation, um, unplugging. Uh, What else could we say there? Well, let's get into some of the other lifestyle things then, because I'm, you know, I'm getting from you and just knowing you that it's like, you don't need to go do two hours of cardio on a treadmill to lose weight. Like you can get that same sort of calorie burning hormonal adaptation from just doing fewer high intensity things. So let me just reframe it. There's the old model, which is like, I want to lose weight. I want to get in shape. I want to feel good. So I'm going to go do two hours of cardio on the treadmill and I'm going to eventually be really skinny. Mm Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to go lift really heavy weights for two hours at the gym and I'm going to get really ripped. Like there's those kind of things that are very isolated. But your whole integrative system of fitness involves all of this mobility and all this crazy stuff. But outside of even the fitness, you started to talk about just other lifestyle habits or adaptations. So what else would you recommend in terms of just getting fit? Mm -hmm. Because if you just go to cardio for two hours a day and you're drinking Diet Cokes, 
and you sleep two hours a night and your sleep sucks and you know you never get outdoors like you're still not going to be healthy Mm -hmm. well you're still under recovered if that's what's going on in your life for sure so you're your body is stressed if you're eating like that or drinking things like that. You're just overloading, bombarding the system with stress on the inside and then all the other stuff going on the outside environment as well. So stress, 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 just going and running on the treadmill. It's not going to tackle that problem. There's a lot more going on. I look at the body or us as humans, we're way too complex. So just running on the treadmill is not going to solve the problem. Just going in and pumping iron isn't going to solve the problem. But again, what do you want? Like, what do you want and what do you need? Like, what are your goals as an individual as well? Because I'm not going to be able to get everybody to do what I want. They might not like what I do. No problem. That's not the thing for you. So find what you like to do and go do that and explore it. Um, but again, I don't isolate it, right? If I'm, you just explain what a class or what a session is like me, depending on the session. Yeah. But mostly we're going to incorporate, not mostly, unless we're doing just like an all-out mobility session, we're going to incorporate the mobility. We're going to incorporate the training, which again, we're working in a more dynamic manner with this complex body. We want to explore its complexity. And it could be, again, 20 minutes to 30 minutes. But what is the goal there? For me, I really try to help people cultivate strength first so they can actually handle the stress of going into doing something like high-intensity training or running all out on the treadmill. Like, whatever you want to do, go do it. Let's just be more intelligent. And I want to definitely consider the complexity of this thing because just doing yoga didn't fix my problems either. And I studied Ashtanga for like two years. Just bodybuilding didn't. So I've learned through my experience is that we're so complex. What is out there that makes us function better, helps us recover better, helps us understand and actually address the stress in life and then we can actually get the result that we want from what we think cardio is because to me i can get somebody's heart rate up strength training and it's going to go up and it's going to come down you could call that interval training right well that's my point it's like you can't just say oh picking up a weight doing this thing is not doing anything to the heart rate so it's not cardio no, dude, like that to me doesn't make any sense. So I look at it in terms of how can I get somebody the most out of their time spent again? And I don't separate cardio and then separate this thing over here. I do, however, work on developing, like I said, a nice strength foundation or platform. That way the sessions can be more dynamic for sure when they're training. And then what about outside of the gym? You mentioned prayer, meditation. What what would that do in terms of helping you with your physique or just your sense of well-being? Prayer and meditation. Mm. It's my favorite time. So for me, I just, I again, I can share what it's, it's transformed my life. And I know it has a lot to do with the mind. Um, so again, I like the approach of working from the inside out. So I try to help other people, whether they're open to it or not, I don't know, but it's part of my lifestyle change or the program of transformation that I offer people when they come through the door. It's a big aspect to it and how I do it, and this is how I share it with even people that are in there for the first day with me, is that's how I start every day. I wake up in the morning and the first thing I'll do is, yeah, I'll go have a coffee with some healthy fats and whatnot. I'll do my mobility. And again, that is part of my meditation. 
right? My meditation is scanning my body because every day is different. There's always different things going on depending what what I did the day before, the month before, or years ago. And I want to scan and see what's going on. And then I can start to use the mobility as a tool to address what I'm finding that day. So already I'm being present. I'm being aware. I'm tapping into what's going on in my body. And then I can start seeing my thoughts as well. Because to me, there's negative thoughts and there's positive thoughts and just trying to think positive never worked for me either because this mind has a mind of its own and it just does what it does and for me I've got to slow down because I'm already like my brain goes really really fast and if I watch people when they come through the door I'm like oh boom I get it I'm just like them their mind's going fast I know exactly what that's like and I know what it's done for me so I try to share the mobility practice in the morning and then what I do is I go and I sit out on my balcony and I usually bring some sort of material that starts to get my mind on track for me or what's in alignment with the path that I'm looking on going down. Something that helps me become more aware of what's going on in my mind and what's going on in my emotions and if the thinking is a little bit all scattered and all over, when I start reading that kind of material, it brings me back. So the literature for me is reminders, reminders of reality, of purpose, of what's really important in my life. What is my relationship to life? That was my meditation this morning, which came out of the book, um, what is it, A New Earth? I think it's through uh, Eckhart Tolle. But again, I just sit with maybe a sentence or I sit with a question or I sit with a word and then I just ask myself that question or I just repeat that word. I've never been taught how to meditate by somebody um, that's a meditation teacher. All I can say, I know my experience with it and what it does is it helps me again, which my goal is to help people be better human beings. So I share, this is how I start my morning. And if this isn't what you do, that's cool. Could we maybe make a short-term goal? So what time do you wake up? What time do you go to bed? And if you're waking up at, say, 6 or you're waking up at 5 or you're waking up at 7, well, within that first hour, we're already going to get good hydration, some spring water in. We're going to get good nutrition. We're going to get your mobility in. We're going to get the reading, whatever material you want. I don't have a corner. uh, I don't have a monopoly on spirituality. Some person might not even be into it. They're just into science. So all I do is I share what I do, and I do it pretty much every day. And then from there, I have an intention that is set that I try to carry out into the world. But I start with me. I take care of myself first. And then when I go out the door, the prayer usually is for me is, how can I be of maximum service? Like before this podcast today, it was like, God, could you help me to have fun? And could you help me to help somebody to be of service? And so when I do that, when I meditate in the morning, it helps me arrive or come back to that place of what my purpose is, which is to go out that door and to go help other people. And that's what when people come in, something they usually want to do. I ask them that question all the time. I say, well, why do you want better energy? Why do you want to be stronger? Why do you want to be more mobile? Well, because my father's getting older now, or I got a husband or a wife, and I want to be able to help them better, and I want to do it with grace and ease, and kind of just go through my life where it's not such a struggle. And the root underneath that, when I hear them talk to me and explain what's going on in their life, is they want to be able to be of better service. And they're seeing right now at this time in their life that they need to take care of themselves first as well. Yeah. So I guess that was a little tangent, but... 
No, it's great, you know, dude. That's it's great. What I love. I mean, it. I know you, so you know, it's like <laughs> I we both live the same yeah. way, you know. So we're we're on the same page there, but the audience doesn't, you know. Mm. And there's definitely value there for you to be of service to them. I mean, I know myself, and we've talked about this a million times. If I just get up in the morning and go on autopilot, I'm oh, going to be living in ego. I'm going to be living in fear and anxiety yeah. that I'm going to lose something that I've got or I'm not going to get that thing that I want and I'm just going to be living in a lower state of consciousness than if I set that intention. I mean, mm. to me, that's that's everything. Call it prayer, call it God, call it whatever the hell you want to call it. I think if any person is just thinking about themselves and how they can protect themselves that day and not get hurt, you're going to have a miserable life. I mean, this is every every spiritual teaching from the beginning of time all says the same thing, you know, that you have to find a way to get present, to get centered, and to make a contribution to your fellows. Otherwise, your life is not worth living. So that's it's really good stuff. And I think that has a lot to do with um, addressing the stress levels. Because mm-hmm. that's the number one I th- number one thing I see coming through the door all the time when I see somebody is I can see the stress that has occurred in their life and I get a clear snapshot of what's going on and then I just start asking questions and it's just like, well, here you go. Boom, 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 boom. So what can we do to help with that? And that's a very powerful tool. Yeah, mm-hmm. awesome, man. Okay, so along those lines, a great place to wrap it up. So I want three recommendations from you of teacher. You've listened to my podcast before. Mm-hmm. You know this. Hopefully you didn't plan it, though. You know, I hate it when people plan their Since answers. Since we were in Saltwater, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Oh, the great no, Braden. i never read it. Oh, okay. Yeah, Greg Braden did a <laughs> great book called the, uh, the Isaiah Effect about the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah, interesting stuff. Um, so three, you know, teachers, teachings uh, that have been influential on you in your life, fitness or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Let's go with the book I mentioned earlier, Eckhart Tolle's book, A New Earth. Um, phenomenal. Dr. R. Hawkins, David R. Hawkins, The Pathway to Surrender. Letting Go, uh, another profound book. You're the first one that's ever remember. I can never remember the, the name of that book. I'm like, mm-hmm. it's the David Hawkins uh, Surrender book. But that I think that is the actual title. Pathway to Surrender. Yeah. And let's see, a third book, Sermon on the Mount by Emmett Fox. Nice, dude. Perfect. Okay, we're going to put those in the show notes. And for those of you listening or watching on one of the various devices, if you want the show notes, because we always mention stuff like this in the show, and then I know how it is as a podcast listener. You're like, oh, what did he say? And you want to screen grab the timestamp on the show or try to write it down. You don't have to trip people. What you have to do is go to lukestory.com and sign up for my newsletter. I don't send you a bunch of weird stuff. I'm very respectful. I don't like spam people out, but you will get the links for everything that Cody discussed um, at the end of the interview here and also during. So get on the newsletter. That's how you get all of those hyperlinks. So dude, thank you for finally coming on the damn show. It's like harder to get your close friends and family on a podcast than it is super famous authors and stuff. I'm glad we, I'm glad we finally got it done. I lured, I I lured him in with the float tank, you guys. And, uh, you know, I think we did a, we did a pretty good job of, you know, presenting the system that you're building and have discovered for fitness. So man, it's really cool. And, I want to just thank you for teaching me all the stuff that you've taught me, dude, and like inspiring me to like move my body because it's not something that I intuitively go to, but yeah. it's definitely like, you know, made a huge impact on my life. So I encourage people to look up your stuff. Speaking of which, where can we find you on website, social media, and all that? Uh, Instagram is Story Fitness LA. 
Facebook, I do have a personal account, Cody Story, C-O-D-Y-S-T-O-R-E-Y. And again, if you're spelling Story Fitness, it's S-T-O-R-E-Y Fitness. Don't forget the E. Let's see what else. Uh, You could go to my website, which is storyfitness.com. Um, But yeah, hit me up. I'd love to help you if you're interested in anything that we discussed today. That's what my life is all about, is being of service. Awesome. Thanks, Mm -hmm. So thanks for having me on to have the opportunity to share with more people. Yeah, and we can thank our dad for uh, getting busy and creating a few kids. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Pops. He'll probably end up listening to this. Our dad's name is Alan Story. He's a great guy. Good man, good man. Yeah, he's a good guy. He's taught us us both a lot. All right, love you, dude, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. All right. Thank you. man wasn't that a sweet episode i'm so grateful to have my brother cody in my life and to have the opportunity to present him and and his life's work to you guys the listeners i was tempted at first to cut that into two episodes because it was about an hour and 40 minutes long we really sat down and dove into it and then when i was kind of doing the edit and doing my intros and outros i thought you know what i'm just going to leave it as one full episode because it's a really nice introduction to cody and all the stuff he does and i want to encourage any of you listening in la Like, of course I'm biased because Cody's my brother, obviously, right? But the stuff he's into, man, is super next level. And uh, the level of training and care and just attention that I see him give, you know, not only me, but just his general clients at Stray Fitness is outstanding. So if you're in the LA area, even traveling through, I encourage you go in, do a consultation, even take one of the group classes. I'll probably be there on a good day. Well, to maybe we'll take an ice bath afterward. But anyway, man, check out Story Fitness in LA. You can look at his Instagram and uh, see some of the things he's into. But I'm just really proud to call him my brother and to be able to present him today. So thank you so much for listening. I also want to share something cool with you, uh, which I'm going to be doing quite a bit more of, I think, as we move forward, and that is some solo episodes. I'm starting to get like tons of questions to, you know, people DM me on my Instagram, which by the way, is at Luke's story. It's pretty fun times. Um, And I just, I don't know, I'm getting all kinds of emails, all sorts of questions. And it's like, I think I'm gonna have to start sitting down and actually just recording episodes where I just geek the F out and answer those questions. But the first installment I'm doing was an easy one because it's a live broadcast. So I'm calling this the bootleg broadcast, Luke, live in New York City. Kind of like live from New York. It's Saturday night. It wasn't a Saturday night. It was a Thursday night, but it was a beautiful evening in the West Village when I did a talk over at Cat Beauty. So you guys might remember me uh, talking about this, you know, within the last month or so. Um, inviting some listeners down and many listeners came down. It was a really fun, a fun talk that I did. So that's going to be coming out this Friday as a bonus episode. I'm not going to use my own episodes for like a Tuesday, you know, official release. I'm just going to start putting those out wherever possible. I have a couple other live talks coming up in LA that hopefully I'll be able to publish if the sound turns out all right. And so, uh, yeah, I can't wait to share that with you. So make sure that you click subscribe on your iTunes, if you're listening on a computer, on whatever app you're using, click subscribe on this show, people, so you don't have to remember to tune back in or like download episodes. They just automatically get downloaded. All right, so thank you so much again for listening, supporting all the crazy stuff that I'm doing here on the Lifestylist Podcast, and I look forward to bringing you the episode Friday. Luke, live from New York. Yeah.